0: The following is a message at Living Savior Church in Asheville and Hendersonville, North Carolina. To learn more, go to lsavior.org. Would you agree or disagree that a little knowledge can be a dangerous thing? With all of the DIY shows that have been on the rise in popularity over the last several years, It's no surprise that there are a ton of people who look at home renovations and think to themselves, how about I try my own hand and do it myself? But maybe they don't really know exactly what they're doing. And so just because Chip and Joanna Gaines slap some shiplap up on this wall and that wall, happy homemakers all over might do the same. And do you think it's possible, if not probable, that there may have been a few accidents along the way? Maybe a pierced pipe that led to water damage galore. Maybe some screws or a nail that went into some wiring and caused an electrical short. Things that weren't level, maybe some other construction issues along the way. If you put some tools and some ideas in the hands of a person who has a little knowledge, maybe they're not accounting for the larger degree of ignorance and some Challenges can happen along the way. It can be dangerous. Take even the person who looks at a couple YouTube videos and then they want to do some work, some maintenance on their vehicle. I mean, an oil change here, changing the, the light bulbs there, maybe moving the the battery out and, and replacing it, replacing an air filter. Some of these everyday sorts of minor maintenances can be manageable, but then a person starts to dabble a little bit more. They want to start to replace some major parts. And before you know it, they find themselves in quite the predicament because a little knowledge can be a dangerous thing. Before you know it, they have to call their connection who's a mechanic or maybe even have their vehicle towed away to the shop. From small maintenances to larger issues, this applies to just about everything in life. From medication to stitches, from plumbing to electrical, from construction to even laying out some cement work, a little knowledge can be a dangerous thing. And when it comes to some things, it might not just be dangerous, it can be downright deadly. And if that is true for matters in this life, physically speaking, why would it be any different for the soul? A little knowledge can be a very dangerous and even deadly thing. And of all the places where there are people, even Christians, who exercise a great degree of ignorance, I would say it's death. The way that people, Christians, talk about death, I mean, you walk into a funeral and you hear the things that people say, and sometimes you hear those things and you might even think to yourself, well, there's nothing wrong with that, it sounds nice. It's a platitude, maybe, but but they meant well by it. And there's got to be some truth to whatever it is that Christians are saying. There's always a layer of truth, right? When to such a large degree there's, maybe even in some scenarios, more ignorance floating around than accuracy. So when it comes to things like like death. What, what do you think God wants you to know about it? I mean, it is he himself who has mastered death. He is the one who when he breathed life into mankind, he did not breathe an ounce of death. It is the God of heaven who has given us life and wants us only to experience that. So now that death came into this world from the fall into sin, do you think if there's anyone who has a lot to say about it and it is only truth and only accuracy and not ignorance at all, you think God wants us to know some things? So how about? How about we look into his word today? His word, his letter to the Thessalonians, the Apostle Paul, is writing to these people who looked forward to being with Jesus. In fact, so much so that they had a lot of ignorance about death. And their ignorance specifically was that they thought that if you died before Jesus came back on the last day, that you missed out. Was it that you would go to nothingness? There was some debate about what it is that that you would actually experience? Regardless, they had a lot to learn about death. And on account of their ignorance, it just compounded in the things that they started to say to one another and the outside culture that was able to infiltrate not only their minds and their hearts, but but their souls. And so the way that the Apostle Paul starts out this reading from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 is by saying these words. We do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of people who have no hope. God doesn't want us to be ignorant. So how about you and I today, how about we brush up, not just on our intellectual smarts about death, but on the, the spiritual necessities, those truths that God wants us to know. So as we're, we're going to be smart about death, God wants us to know where we go, to, where, to know where our loved ones are, to know the why behind it, and then also what we can be about in the meantime. He says, I do not want you to grieve like the rest of people who have no hope. Notice what he does not say. He does not say that I don't want you to grieve. Grieving is necessary. I mean, I remember a funeral way back when I was at at the seminary. And as I attended this funeral, it was my grandfather's funeral, I vividly remember choking back tears and refraining from crying altogether. Why? Not like that's wrong, but maybe it was a guy thing in the moment, but just telling myself that, no, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna cry. And, and I bring that up because I, I remember and still have seen today where there is this holding back from grieving. I think as a society, we've gotten a lot better at this, but we are nowhere compared, nowhere near to where some other cultures are today cultures that don't hold back when it comes to the need that we have to grieve. And notice what I said. We have a need. Psychologists and therapists can confirm all day long that it's very important that when you when you face the death of a loved one, someone that means the world to you, that it is okay to grieve. And, and that might that's going to look different for people. For some, it might mean crying. For others, it might mean a long walk. For others, it might mean talking it out. And for others, it might be a quiet time to process. The Bible never says, don't grieve. Grieving is necessary. It says, do not grieve like the rest of people who have no hope. I mean, look at what that grief is like. To grieve about the death of a loved one when there is no hope is the saddest thing of all. Maybe you've been to one of those funerals. We talked about this last week at Asheville one of those funerals where you walk in and there is no hope at all. There's maybe some soft platitudes, but otherwise it's talking about a person's life and the tragedy and their death and that's it. It is it is just that, a tragedy. But God does not call us to grieve like that because we have this hope. It's important that we grieve. First of all, it's healthy, but also it's important for us to, to recognize that even as we grieve under this big, big, beautiful hope that we have, it reminds us of the reason why we're grieving. I mean, why is it that we grieve? Well, we're missing a loved one. Well, why are we missing them? Well, because they died. Well, why have they died? Because, as mentioned earlier, when God breathed the breath of life into mankind, he did not breathe death. He did not create death. We brought that about by falling into sin and perpetuating that in our lives. As the scripture says, The wages of sin is death. And so now we view life as something that is temporary instead of lasting. It is marred by this abrupt ending that we cannot control and we cannot overcome, much less cheat. It is a robber of comfort, of peace, of relationships, of all of the lasting aspects that we wish we could experience on and on and on. And when we look at death that way, then that means we are not only being honest, but we are refraining from being ignorant. And when we look at it that way, then it reminds us of the true and eternal hope that we do have. We do not grieve like the rest of people who have no hope. Notice that three times in this reading, as you will see, the writer under the inspiration of the Spirit refers to death as a sleep. It is asleep because the one who mastered death conquered the grave and he is now the one who gives us this eternal hope as well. So although we can be very honest about the necessity of grief, and although we can be very honest and informed about the cause behind grief, that is our sin, which caused death, which causes grief, we can also be very honest and informed about the hope that we have that the one who died and rose can even give us this reality that death is but a sleep. You know, on on Sunday afternoons, it might happen that I find a comfortable position in a recliner, or maybe the couch, and maybe for just a moment, maybe some Sundays longer than others, but just for at least a little little moment, I'd like to close my eyes. I think maybe that's one of the purposes God made Sunday afternoons, but that's just my opinion. And you know, every single time, I might close my eyes a little bit, you know what my kids and my wife never do? They've never come up to me right when they see my eyes start to get heavy and they kind of know he's got that nap look on his face. And even if it's just for 15, 20 minutes, whatever it is, my kids and my wife have never, ever come up to me and said, Dad or honey, uh, are you sure you're going to wake up? They've never been worried about that. There's never been one time where there's been this fear that I might take a nap, and never wake up because they know it's, it's just a nap. And you know what? For, for Christians, that's exactly the comfort that we have when you look at something like a coffin, a grave, a tombstone, an urn, a memory, the date of one's birth followed by the date of their death, an obituary, when you look at any and all of those things, especially of the ones whom you love, those Christians who have died in the faith, you no longer have to worry or grieve about them like the rest of the world that has no hope and no answers and no real information either. Just a lot of, just a lot of ignorance floating on. You have this certainty that they are with the Lord. They have fallen asleep in him. We do not grieve like the rest of people who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose and so God will take with Jesus those who fall asleep in him. We believe that Jesus died. That means he took the summation of all of our sin and the great weight of all of our guilt and all of the debt that we owe God and on account of all of that he took it with him to the cross and it was nailed with him to that cross and he paid for it all when he died so that his declaration that it was finished counts for you before God. Jesus died and when he died, he died for you and he died for your loved ones. We believe that Jesus rose. Since Jesus paid for the eternal weight of all of our guilt, then God said that it is good. The debt has been made right and now we are okay with God and to prove it, He was not only delivered over to death on account of our sins, he was raised to life on account of our being made right with God. God declares us right before him and that is validated by Jesus walking over the threshold, leaving death in his dust only to prove that life is the eternal reality. Not only for him but for all who follow in those first fruit footsteps. Yes, we We who fall asleep in him belong to him, and so death is not our demise. And a grave is not where we are left only to decay. Jesus died and rose, and so all who fall asleep in him are with him right now. And we who belong to him right now, who will also fall asleep in him, will also experience that nap-like experience. That we fall asleep and close our eyes in the blink of death, but are are opened to this reality, are raised to realize that we belong with Jesus forever because we are in him. We believe that Jesus died and rose and all of that is the proof that our loved ones who are with him are where we belong as well. And so let's not be ignorant about death. That means that we are not going to be ignorant like the rest of people who have no hope. We're not going to be ignorant about things like grief. We're not going to be ignorant about where our loved ones are. We're not going to be ignorant about how we can have that same certainty that they are with the Lord, and we also will be there too. We believe that Jesus died and rose, and so God will take with Jesus all of those who fall asleep in him. That's for your loved ones, and that's for you. That then leads to the third third encouragement or, or one of the following encouragements that he gives us towards the very end. That of all the things that you and I have to say to ourselves and to one another, it's these things that we've been saying. Not, not the ignorant frivolities and these platitudes that are, that are fluffy and stuffy. You know, I walk into a funeral and people will say things like, you know, he was a good person. And on account of that, God has to have put him right next to all of those pudgy baby angels up there. They might not say that. But you think of all of these these false caricatures of heaven and these bad images that are shared with people through words that sound nice but they, in the end, are just surface material that have no depth or meaning to them. It's ignorance. It's not smart. So, so for you and me, if, if we're going to be smart about death, then, then that means we're probably going to need to say something better than the stuff that we, we may have said, certainly the stuff that we have heard at funerals or around the death of, of loved ones. They are up there in the sky looking down on us. Really? Do, do I want my loved ones who are up there in the sky, with God, with Jesus, in heaven, enjoying perfect bliss to look down on me? When I think of the struggles and the frustrations and the challenges of, of life in this world, do I want them spending one blink of a second looking down here? No! That's not smart even. Like, even just theoretically, it's not smart. Spiritually, it's not true. Well, they they have gone to a better place and they're floating on. like All of these things that people can say, are they actually true? Do they have any grounding? Do they actually help you? Because ultimately what God wants in the end is for you to have the truth and comfort that doesn't just focus on some fluffy existence, but on the rootedness of how God became flesh and became real to destroy death and to crush sin and to take those who belong to him to be with him forever in heaven. And that eternal presence is the Garden of Eden restored, where we are in perfect communion with God, where everything that is broken and lost and to be ruined in this world is left down there and those who are with the Lord experience the opposite of that. That's, that's the stuff that we need to focus on. And that's also if we're going to be smart about death and the last day. That's where Paul writes, then let us encourage one another with these words. He he goes right at the end. Therefore, let us encourage one another with these words. Death is not something that people want to talk about. And you know, when it comes to things that people don't want to talk about, oftentimes that doesn't help overcome ignorance. It perpetuates ignorance. You see this with a lot of things, when when people don't talk about money and how to manage money. That doesn't lead to more and more people and certainly the next generation becoming smarter as though they snap into it someday and the, and the light switch goes on. That's not how it works. The same is true with, let's say, dieting and exercise. It's not just that suddenly people kind of figure that out. Well, maybe there's an exception here or there, But that's something that needs to be informed, shared. Education that needs to cross from the one who is educated to the one who needs it. We need to encourage one another about these words. And and of all the subjects people don't want to talk about, death has got to be towards the top. Part of that is because maybe next to public speaking, people have such a fear of it. But also, it's very uncomfortable. You know, I, I think of a scenario, and I've seen this so many times, where I'm in a hospital room or I'm in a hospice room. I'm in someone's house and there's the hospital bed or, the, or a person is literally on their deathbed or they've just been hit like a ton of bricks with some terminal news and they want to start talking. They, they've already come to grips with it. And they don't want to be ignorant and they don't want their family members to be ignorant about it. And they, they start talking about it. They start talking about the things that they want at their funeral. They start talking about the things that they want of their family members, the expectations that they have, maybe even part of their will. And I've seen it countless times where family members, shh, we, we, we don't want to talk about that. We, we, we don't want to talk about that. Just, let's, just, let's just talk about the good times. And, let's... and sometimes I've seen the person give in to that. Okay, they, they don't really want to talk about it. Other times, I've seen them double down. But no, I, I'm going to talk about this right now because I'm going to die and I don't have much time left and I have a say and you're going to listen. So I have the microphone, you don't. <laughs> and I actually find that beautiful. I find it wonderful because in that moment a person can talk to their loved ones about the things that really matter the most. Not, not these empty, ignorant platitudes about death. Not, not meandering thoughts about what the last day is going to be like. But about the truth that we have a Savior. We have real, verifiable answers in the face of death. It is a Savior who walked over the threshold of death itself, crushing it under the weight of his alive feet. And in his footprints, we follow him to the presence of our Savior that has been prepared for us, yes, with your name on it. And so we can encourage one another with these words. When, when I die, I don't want my family to to think to themselves that they can't talk about it. Even if it's the moments before I die, if God allows me that blessed time, I don't want them to share anything that's empty, certainly things that are ignorant. If God in his wisdom decides that in this next year, I'm going to be in my deathbed, let's say for a month, and, and you're going to come visit me, and you're going to talk to me, I don't want you to talk to me about the good things that you think about me or the bad things that you think about me. But if you have to pick, pick the bad things. Because then at least you get to talk about the most important thing of all. Not me. Don't come and talk to me, most importantly, about anything. Talk to me about my Savior. Talk to me about my God who's done everything for me. Tell me about what Jesus has done for me. Pull out those Sunday School truths that you know, that you know how to share in your best way, and tell me about those things. Tell me how I was baptized in him, into Christ. Tell me about all of the things that I have said over the course of my life that have been about God's word have never been about me, but about God. Tell me those things. Because you know what? That's actually encouraging. And we get to encourage one another with God's words, with these words. I think many years ago when I preached on these words, it was at a funeral. A man by the name of Brownie Blythe. When I preached on these words, as I was able to visit the family and I got to know Brownie o- over the, f- the few years that I got to know him, one of the most beautiful things that I ever learned about him was that he was given a Bible. He came to, to be a believer through his wife and his children later in life. And when he was given a Bible, he wrote in the inside cover, this is the most beautiful gift of all, Brownie Blythe. Now, How encouraging is it that when you get to, get to know a man who, as a husband and father, cared for his family, a man who would admit his imperfections and faults next to anybody, but a man who would recognize that the most beautiful thing of all was God's words. That's a man who knew what it was like to live with the encouragement that only God can give. To give answers in the face of death and worry and doubt and fear. Who can give comfort in the face of guilt and grief and sin and shame. A God who opens up his words of life and they give us not only this resurrection in the moment but an eternal resurrection unto eternal life. That's exactly what God has given you. So you and I not only are not allowed, but we have no reason to be caught up into this a little bit of information and a lot of ignorance, especially when it comes to eternity, to our death and to the last day. Jesus is going to return. And when he returns, he is going to take us to be with those believing loved ones who have died and fallen asleep in him. And therefore, there is nothing to fear about that last day when all that is left to be lost in the brokenness of this world will be left to destruction, and we who belong to the Lord will be with him for everything that we are meant to experience in peace and bliss God has prepared in his Son. So, so therefore, know where your believing loved ones are. Know that this death is just asleep. And know That those who are with Jesus are there because he died and rose to take with Jesus those who fall asleep in him. And therefore you can encourage one another with these words until these words might be the last words we hear and God closes our eyes either in the sleep of death or he opens them on the last day, whichever comes first. And in that moment, what we see will be our Savior the one who wipes every tear from our eyes. Amen.